The Whistleblower Report, exposing lies, deceptions, and all that has assaulted our way of life. We must take back our freedom and live as God designed in a free America that honors our Constitution and our Creator. Our experts in medicine, ministry, law, military, environment, and education empower us to grow together as a nation. For such a time as this, the Whistleblower Report offers truth and solutions. Welcome to the Whistleblower Report with Dr. Lee for America, and this is Truth for Health Foundation's military report with further updates on the whole situation with the COVID vaccine mandates in the U.S. military and the harm that it is causing our service members. You've probably heard the news that Congress is finally holding the executive branch accountable for violating federal law in mandating experimental use injections across the military. And Congress is holding up the funding for the military using the power of the purse to exercise their constitutional authority as the legislative branch of our government in the normal checks and balances of a constitutional republic. The judiciary, on the other hand, has failed to rule on the unlawfulness of mandating experimental COVID shots. And so finally, Congress has stood up to tackle this problem. However, they have left a huge area that has not been addressed, and that is holding accountable the Department of Defense Command that has terminated people from the military without due process in violation of UCMJ and federal law and in violation of the very laws that Congress enacted to prevent this after the debacle 20 years ago with the anthrax vaccine, which you will be hearing more about in our show today. With us today, our Colonel Tom Remfer, U.S. Air Force combat pilot and career Air Force retired, and Sergeant James Muhammad, U.S. Marine Corps, who is going to share with you his story that it has taken 20 years to correct his military record, fighting to restore what should have been done after Congress passed the law to stop the unlawful anthrax shots. This is a story of DOD mistakes from anthrax to COVID and the impact on our dedicated service members. And America, let's not forget, this is not the Vietnam era where people were drafted to serve our country. This is an all-volunteer military force. People choose to make the sacrifices that it entails to serve our country and defend freedom for all of us and to be a beacon of freedom 
around the world. Our U.S. military, regardless of what anyone else says, has been a force for good and a force to bring hope to millions of people over my lifetime and in our history of the U.S. military and its code of ethics, code of honor, and its rules of engagement, uniform code of military justice based in our founding principles of this country. So let's hear the stories of these two career military people who just had the courage and fortitude and persistence to keep fighting the bureaucracy. And this is a lesson for Congress today. You are failing your duty to our military when you fail to require that the DOD bring justice to those wrongfully terminated service members. It should not take our military 20 years to clear their record. So shame on you for not standing up and doing the rest of the right thing. We've needed to stop this COVID shot from the get-go. And that was known from the beginning, medically, I'm very aware of what we knew when. They should never have been rolled out. They should not have been mandated as an experimental product. And more importantly, they do need to be stopped. And Congress, you need to stand up and hold the DOD accountable to fix the problems for our service members and not make them pay another price of more years trying to clear their record. So Colonel Remfer and Sergeant Muhammad, thank you for being with us today. I'm honored to have you on the platform here on America Out Loud and the Whistleblower Report. And I am personally grateful for your service to our country. We need more people like you. So thank you for being here. Colonel Renfer, you wanna give us some perspective historically and further introduce your fellow service member. Sure, Dr. Lee. Uh, boy, we're, we're grateful to be able to uh, be with you today and, and hopefully our experience over the course of the past two and a half decades um, will uh, provide some insights and be helpful to young service members um, today as they unfortunately are having to probably go down the same road that, that, uh, uh, that we went down. Um, I'm gonna try to explain a couple similarities to what's going on today, as well as some differences. Uh, you know, 25 years ago, there was the anthrax vaccine mandate in the military, and it took us about five years, but finally a federal court said, this is illegal, actually said the military should not be experimenting on their uh, troops and treating them as guinea pigs. The judge said that. He ordered them to properly license the anthrax vaccine, which was investigational. It actually wasn't even formally licensed by the Food and Drug Administration, and uh, the federal courts shut it down. That's one difference. Uh, the current COVID vaccine mandates have not been shut down by the federal courts. So 
big difference is this time the legislature uh, moved in and said, uh, knock it off, knock it off, knock it off. Oftentimes in a dangerous aerial engagement, that'll be our radio call where we'll uh, terminate uh, all activities and all training in order to make sure the operation is safe. That's exactly what the Congress has done here with the Department of Defense in this pending uh, National Defense Authorization Act language, as they've called a knock it off. And uh, but again, the Congress didn't do that for us uh, all those years ago. You know, the anthrax vaccine mandate only impacted uh, two million or so uh, soldiers. Um, they were generally able to use that rhetoric of uh, this is a good order and discipline issue and uh, you really shouldn't interfere in our business. And so they uh, never had the Congress get the momentum that it has now. Um, probably, uh, you know, much of it relates to the fact that the entire population has seen the um, safety questions, the efficacy concerns, and the legality concerns over mandates. Pretty much all the mandates have been declared to be illegal or enjoined by the um, federal courts at this point. The Supreme Court spoke out about the large employer mandate. Uh, this mandate for the Department of Defense is being uh, halted by the Congress. Other mandates have been halted by various um, appellate level federal courts. So um, it's really kind of dramatic. It seems like the, the country is not in the mood for mandates anymore, especially with experimental use authorized or investigational unapproved medical products which is exactly what the anthrax vaccine was. And uh, another very interesting intersecting point is the reality that anthrax vaccine was the very first ever emergency use authorized product. It was the first time they applied that law. They did it after the court said that the program had to be halted. They used the EUA authorization in order to still give the vaccine to the troops. But the military agreed, the court agreed, the government agreed, they put it in the federal register that there could be no penalty, no punishment, no loss of entitlements for refusing the vaccine, for exercising their prior consent rights. So that was incredible. It not only had the court said it was illegal, but even when the government said we're going to do it under EUA, they acknowledged, they set the precedent that they could only do it uh, with the consent of the member and they couldn't punish anybody. So fast forward to um, a year or so ago, they decided to use EUA products on our soldiers. Uh, no FDA approved products uh, were available for the entirety of the deadlines of the DOD mandates. Um, the commercialized product doesn't appear to even to be available to any citizens at this point. So they've been using EUA product and they have been um, blatantly violating 10 USC 1107A the law that says these products need to be optional. So in a way, Congress has done the Department of Defense an enormous favor. Rather than getting caught in another legal ruling from a federal court by a courageous judge who sees through the smoke and comes out and says, this whole thing is patently illegal. Instead, the Congress is stopping it. Now, uh, it's, it's, it's unfortunate that the Congress uh, appears to have um, uh, kind of produced a half measure here. They're saying, we're going to make you stop it, but they're not saying we want you to correct everything you did to those 8,700 uh, troops that you've already kicked out or those tens of thousands of troops that you've been keeping from going to schools or uh, delaying their um, permanent change of station or taking away their benefits. So that's unfortunate. They haven't directed yet. Uh, they may do it as 
Um, the weeks go by, they may get that language back into the National Defense Authorization Act. They may not only repeal, they may also repair. That's what we're hoping for. That would be full accountability versus the half measure. Uh, instead, what the explanatory language of the uh, Armed Forces, um, Armed Services Committee are saying is that the Department of Defense has mechanisms like the corrections boards in order to try to fix people's records and allow them to be reinstated. So this is James and my area of expertise. We've been doing it for me almost uh, 25 years, for James almost 20 years. And uh, we are personal witnesses that this process when handed over to the Department of Defense can take a long, long time. They kick the can. Uh, unfortunately, idealistic service members get very frustrated. 99% of them go away and never follow through on their cases. And the Department of Defense uh, uh, runs them around the ringer. And uh, it's only people like James being patient and persistent for 15 years. He's final able to get full vindication. He's able to get his full rank reinstored. He'd been demoted all the way down to an E1 with a bad conduct discharge. He was able to get his rank of E5 reinstored, uh, reinstated with back pay. They gave him a good conduct medal and they gave him his uh, benefits back. So uh, that persistence paid off, but it should never have to take 15 years. And so another interesting relationship between the Department of Defense and the Congress is another law called 10 USC 1552. And it basically um, delegates this responsibility to adjudicate personnel matters if people have grievances. And it essentially hands it over to the Department of Defense and says, yeah, uh, you take care of those things. Uh, and service members have to do that before they are able to go to the federal courts. They have to exhaust their administrative remedies, which in James's case uh, took 15 years. Um, and so the problem is, and I, I know there's a, a lot of good people that work within the Department of Defense and probably want cases to get adjudicated in a timely manner. But unfortunately, when they kick the can like this, it can be very disheartening uh, to our soldiers as far as whether or not there can really be any justice. You shouldn't have to wait 15 years are 10,000 or more troops that are going to have to get their records corrected potentially as a result of the COVID vaccine mandates. It's just simply unfair and unjust for them to have to wait all those years uh, to get that justice. And oh, by the way, if we want to take those valuable service members that are current, trained, ready to continue to serve and get them back in to help solve our readiness and retention problems, we need to immediately do it. Either Congress needs to legislate it or the Secretary of Defense needs to say, you know what, uh, command decision, reverse it all and, and start inviting those people back in. They haven't been out for very long. We need to get everybody back to work as soon as possible. That's our hope. But if it doesn't happen, James is here to tell you how the corrections board process works first by filing a DD-149. So kind of a lengthy intro by me. And uh, I really want to kind of uh, turn it over to our brave Marine who 
who withstood this flack for so many years and stood up on his honor, he did exactly what the Department of Defense wants our soldiers to do. He said, hey, I don't think this is legal. I'm concerned. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to comply. That's exactly what we're trained to do. And instead, they punished him. They court-martialed him. They actually imprisoned him, or I guess we'd say confined him, uh, and fined him and demoted him and kicked him out. But he did his duty, and ultimately, uh, the system did exonerate him. So with that, James, apologies for the long introduction. Uh, James has, has turned out to be one of my dear friends. We've worked for many, many years together, and I can talk to you uh, towards the end of a little bit more about that work. But I'd love for James to give the ABCs, the one, two, three, on how to do a record corrections process. Well, I'm going to ask James to do exactly that, but I want to make a point for our public of civilian audience to understand 15 years to clear your record when you have been when someone has been discharged from the US military with a less than honorable discharge whether it's general discharge or worse a dishonorable discharge what the public doesn't understand is that that affects their ability to even get a job in the civilian world because civilian employers all ask the question on applications, what, what, what type of discharge did you have from the military? And that answer, general or dishonorable, is a red flag to a civilian employer. So it's far worse, in a sense, because the putative actions in the military end up preventing job opportunities in the civilian world as well. And I want our listeners to really understand that as you listen to Sergeant Mohammed's story, you have to understand this affected his ability to get a job in the civilian world when he was forced out under such egregious situations. So my hat's off to him for his diligence and perseverance a lot of people give up after a process like that. So, Sergeant Mohammed, I'm honored to have you tell your story, and I salute you for your courage and persistence and the fact that you did not give up. Good Marine. Thank you. Um, I appreciate the, uh, the introductions. As a matter of fact, that was uh, such a wonderful introduction that I was kind of looking around the room and thinking, who is this guy? I'd like to meet him. Um, but, um, no, thank you. Yes. Uh, that part is absolutely real. Uh, the part about, um, the self doubt that you go through, uh, the psychological number that it does on you and doubting that you made the right decisions. Uh, you went about it the right way and the constant sleepless nights of what if I would have done this or what if I would have done that, or maybe this is just a big misunderstanding or maybe I will just wake up from this nightmare. Um, I, at the time, I had aspirations of a long career. I was set to go that direction. I was promoted fast through the ranks. And uh, I thought that I had uh, acquired a lot of valuable skills that I could apply uh, in my career field and, and, and throughout my career. Uh, but it all came to a screeching halt uh, after I made that uh, decision 
to uh, refuse the anthrax vaccine. And I came to realize, um, and what I, I don't say, very few people know this, that uh, after I'd made that decision, it, it took a while for the legal machine to do its work for me to actually show up in a court. But just about every day, uh, I would come home, take my uniform off, and sit quietly and just cry. Because I knew that regardless of what happened, uh, whether I won in court or lost in court, I knew my career was over. And that's what I cried about. And even to this day, 20 years later, it still is probably the most difficult decision I've ever uh, had to make. And I had to stick by that decision uh, despite the um, opposition that I faced, people that I looked up to, people that uh, I thought uh, had vested trust in me, uh, turned the other direction, wouldn't support me, wouldn't even say uh, or talk about the good things that I had done before. Um, it all became about this decision that I made that was in contravention to an order that I was given. So uh, that's it in a nutshell. You know, I just can't even imagine what you must have gone through and the, the psychological pain and trauma of losing a career that you love and the sense of serving something higher than yourself, which seems to be something I hear often from our service members. Unlike military I've talked to who are in other countries, it seems to be a common expression from our, our military service members. And that's a devastating blow, what you are describing. I hope our listeners are paying attention to the enormity of, of what Sergeant Muhammad is saying here. How did, what happened in the civilian world? Did you suffer difficulties getting jobs because of the type of discharge they gave you? There were some opportunities that because I knew it would come up, I never uh, sought those opportunities. And, uh, but I was fortunate. There were some things that did stay with me uh, as I went out into the civilian world. Um, but it did become a limiting factor in terms of improving my station in life. Uh, sometimes uh, there would be an employee review. I, I never lied on any employment applications. I was always upfront with it. And uh, I would kind of pre-stage the conversation to say, is this an issue before I go forward with this uh, you know, employment process? And uh, I, I would get some sort of positive affirmation. But at some point, usually it would come up again. And uh, so very often, uh, sometimes I would have to go find uh, a new place to work. Um, so that was, that was pretty disheartening. Uh, but I was always able usually to get uh, some other employment in my field. I tend to have, I, I tend, I have uh, some niche, uh, niche skills. Uh, so that was good for me. And I developed them over years. Um, but uh, it, it was a limiting factor. And it's always been a limiting factor for me for a long time and, uh, in my career. You know, that's, that's irreplaceable. And that's why I'm so outraged that Congress doesn't have the courage to address this issue as they are holding up the funding on the NDAA until 
they get approval for the doing away with the unlawful COVID vaccine shot mandates because Colonel Remfer said it correctly. These are still experimental. There are no FDA approved COVID shots, period. There never were. It was all a bait and switch. It was all a grand deception on the public and the military. But Congress really needs to look at the toll that this is taking, not only on the health of the service members, but also on our readiness and national security, but the future employment opportunities. We're losing good people from the military, but we're also losing people from the civilian workforce when they've been allowed to get by with these dishonorable and general discharges. In the time we have left in the first half, Colonel Renfrew, you want to comment on any of that from what you've seen? Yes, I appreciate it because I do have an input as far as the uh, the gravity of the losses. Uh, 25 years ago, um, James and I went through the anthrax vaccine mandate and the services probably lost approximately a thousand people. Uh, we know today that the military probably has outprocessed almost 10,000 people just in the past year. And there's untold additional thousands and thousands of people that are losses that they're uh, more likely than not hiding because they're actually early retirements or people that are saying they're going away voluntarily to get a fully honorable discharge and not put COVID vaccine um, uh, on the the, uh, exit paperwork. So the losses are immense in comparison to what James and I uh, went through. I think that's why Congress has acted, that they, they realize that, that the bleeding has to stop. And there's one reason that's being caused, and that's because the Department of Defense is giving a vaccine to people, making them take it, that doesn't stop transmission and doesn't stop uh, infection. And so the mandate aspect of it, the original logic, well-intentioned that, that it may have been, has evaporated. Um, so I think that difference is, is very important. Also, as we move forward, you know, uh, today, uh, probably well over 100,000 uh, military members in the Guard, Reserve, and active duty components haven't even taken the full uh, complement of the vaccines, uh, nor is anybody almost probably current based on booster schedules. And it's very important to, to note that even if they try to say that the primary series was FDA approved, uh, which it is, it's just not available. Uh, they're only giving EUA product, um, you know, through the entire deadlines of the of the of the mandate. All boosters are EUA, no question about that. The boosters are EUA, cannot be mandated, and the new bivalent boosters are absolutely EUA, no question about it, can't be mandated. So the idea of terminating the mandate also makes sense as they move forward. Um, you know, as as far as uh, the limitations of being able to give the boosters to anyone. Um, final comment I wanted to make was the idea that all of this is still at play. Uh, it's possible that they'll listen to a broadcast like this and say, you know, those are really good considerations for us to just give the Department of Defense a pass on on fixing this and, and handing it over to the Board for Correctional Military Records. We're really setting those troops up 
to literally not have justice or have justice take decades to occur. That's not in anybody's interest. That is not a good look. Um, it's one thing if they do it to a few service members like James, but it's a whole different thing if they're doing it to tens of thousands of service members over this. And so maybe the Congress will be a little bit more proactive, a little bit um, flex its, its legislative oversight muscle a little bit more and say, you know what? We're going to tell you, you are going to fix it. They could do it in one line in the National Defense Authorization Act. Uh, You're exactly right. You're yeah, exactly and, right. And, and if that's they really what they need to do. Right. And if they don't, Senator Cruz has already announced that he's going to put in uh, parallel legislation to make them do it. Um, it may be a, maybe a tougher road to hoe, but um, as uh, it, you know, once once the leadership changes and stuff, uh, you know, maybe they'll have some success with that, especially if the story is told that uh, it's imprudent to pass this off to the Department of Defense to fix it, because unfortunately, they've proven themselves culturally incapable of fixing things in a timely manner in the past. <laughs> no kidding. That's the understatement of the decade. So let's take a break and we will be right back and talk more about how we need to get the public involved in helping put pressure on Congress to fix the problem. And let's talk about what some of those remedies might be. This is Dr. Lee for America with the Whistleblower Report here on America Out Loud Talk Radio Network every Monday through Friday at 12 noon Eastern and 12 midnight Eastern. Tune in and check our archive, check our resources on truthforhealth.org. And that includes if you've had a COVID shot injury, file one of our citizens' vaccine injury reports. If you've had a COVID shot injury or complication, Download our COVID vaccine treatment guide and get help for the problems. We'll be right back after the break. Hello, everyone. This is Lieutenant Mark Bashaw, U.S. Army and legal grant recipient of the Truth for Health Foundation. I want to give a huge shout out to the Truth for Health Foundation for helping me and my family over the past year with our legal battles. Recently, I was court-martialed for not participating with these experimental COVID-19 emergency use authorized products. If it wasn't for Truth for Health Foundation and all the support, I would definitely be in a worse spot. But because of all the support, I'm able to continue uniform service, fighting for what's right to protect the Constitution against enemies, foreign and domestic. God bless each and every one of you, and God bless America. For 40 years, alarmists have been warning of a climate catastrophe, yet none of their dire predictions have come true. Temperatures have not soared, sea level rise has not been unusual, and extreme weather events have not increased in either frequency or intensity. In short, there is no climate emergency. For 15 years, the International Climate Science Coalition has led the call for climate realism and a Made in America climate plan a plan based on real science that responds to the real-world needs of Americans, supports economic growth, and strengthens our essential infrastructure, a plan that protects the environment and ensures that Americans can enjoy the blessings of clean air, clean land, and clean water for generations to come. It's time to put ideology and pseudoscience aside. It's time for a sensible climate plan. For more information or to donate, visit our website, icsc-climate.com 
loud beats to the pulse of our nation. We know when you're angry, you're troubled, confused, glad, and thankful. We know you because we are you. Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. We are America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. You already know Genesis plus HOCL is your best defense against viruses. But did you also know it's the most powerful weapon for eliminating airborne mold too? Customers are raving about the Genesis Fogger's ability to tackle mold problems and the bad smells that go with them. And we all know mold is a hazard to your health. There's no airborne invader that Genesis can't handle. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. In 2008, the amount of concentrated time people could spend on a task without becoming distracted was 12 seconds. Five years later, it was only eight seconds, one second less than a goldfish. The digital age is narrowing our attention span. Trouble concentrating or recalling information is frustrating, embarrassing, and kills productivity. Advanced nutrition company Healthy Cell created Focus and Recall to boost your brain power. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Focus and Recall is not a pill. It's a patent-pending gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-based ingredients to help you immediately sharpen focus, concentrate longer, and strengthen recall. These physician-formulated gels come in a small gel pack. Tear off the top, shoot it down, or mix it in water. Over a thousand reviews with an average star rating of over 4.5 proves it works. Supercharge your brain and see the difference. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. That's HealthyCell.com. Code out loud. This is Dr. Lee for America, back with the second half of the whistleblower report with Colonel Tom Renfro, or Buzz, U.S. Air Force fighter pilot, retired, and Sergeant James Mohammed, U.S. Marines. And they are talking with us about the disaster that occurred to our military in the anthrax mandate, another unlawful, illegal mandate that the courts at that time finally upheld after five years of fighting that battle. But it has taken them between 15 and 20 years for service members to clear their records. That's unacceptable. Now that we have the possibility of the NDAA being used to have Congress hold the Department of Defense accountable and halt the unlawful experimental COVID shot mandates. We can't afford having our service members have to fight individually for another 20 years to clear their records. That is an injustice that is simply un-American with our courageous troops who volunteered to serve this country. So that's our discussion today. And I'd like for our two military service members to talk about what are some of the remedies that Congress can require the DOD to do? Let's go step by step, Colonel Rumfer, because I know I sent you some material that one of our other colleagues had sent us to look at today. There's a, there are a whole lot of proposals on the table. Let's talk about what some of those remedies are. 
Yeah, sounds good. Sounds good. I'll uh, I'll give the the basics, and then I'll let James kind of explain how he went through the process. Um, it begins with uh, trying to get your chain of command to fix it, and for pretty much all of our troops that are in this current dilemma, that didn't happen. Uh, they either got discharged or um, uh, were unable to resolve it within their chain of command, and clearly this comes from the top. So the application for correction to military records um, filed via a DD Form 149. That stands for Department of Defense Form 149. You can Google it. It'll pop right up for you. Um, it's literally a one-page form, and you can explain um, what your, um, your grievance is and what you want corrected. Uh, and why you feel it's appropriate. And you can cite the Senate language saying that the board for uh, Christian military records um, has been um, asked uh, as, a, as a mechanism to address um, correcting records, um, either giving fully honorable discharges or um, potentially reinstating people. Um, or there's probably all kinds of additional potential uh, harms that have happened. Somebody might have been denied a command slot. Somebody might have been denied a school slot. Somebody might have been uh, disallowed from transferring to their next assignment. There could be a whole host of adverse personnel uh, issues or withheld favorable personnel actions that may have occurred. So those can be listed on the DD-149 and you simply mail it in and then they'll end up uh, sending you a letter that it's received and that you'll get a case number and they'll work it. Um, there are statutory limitations for how long they're allowed to work it. Um, and those are unfortunately waverable and they can uh, kick the can a little bit and say, yeah, we were supposed to do this in 12 or 18 months, but uh, it's taking longer based on the complexity of the case and the sheer um, number of cases uh, that they have. Um, on some of our service members have received general discharges. Um, for those that have received honorable discharges, they're probably good to go. But if they ended up having a separation code that disallowed reenlistment or reaccession back into the military, um, the DD-149 can simply ask for the separation code to be fixed to allow them to potentially come back into the military. If they did get a general discharge, they can uh, ask to have that upgraded to fully honorable. Uh, particularly since nobody can be kicked out um, anymore uh, due to this circumstance in any way once the NDAA uh, gets passed into law. I also wanted to comment uh, on the way in which the Congress in the past couple of years handled these discharges was they did actually order the Department of Defense to not give anybody a less than honorable discharge. Uh, but unfortunately, people, I think in the Congress, maybe didn't have the foresight that the Department of Defense then used that as a, uh, a liberal interpretation to give people what's called a general under honorable discharge. So people received general discharges. Uh, I, do, I don't know as though it's the vast majority, but a lot of troops receive general discharges and, uh, and, and those given how this issue is evolving, I don't think those um, are warranted and hopefully they'll be able to use the DD-149 in order to get those corrected. Um, from there, I'll pass it over to James so he can talk to you a little bit about his own case filing. And um, uh, James, you comment on some of the DOD memos that came out 
that gave you continued avenue in order to uh, seek redress for inequity, error, or injustice. And then I'll probably comment on those uh, that memo in particular that, uh, that kind of kept your case alive uh, over the years. Go ahead, sir. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm glad that you mentioned that um, because specifically speaking, the Undersecretary of Defense memo uh, at the time, Wilkie, uh, released a memo addressing the issue of, uh, of injustice. Uh, on paper, there, there is an avenue to address things like this. Uh, but in my particular instance, the system had considered that my case had been fully adjudicated and had been, uh, had been closed. And there was, uh, there was really no avenue to approach it. Uh, up until some, uh, you know, the Wilkie memo kind of helped to keep that open uh, and gave me an avenue for redress. And really uh, what ended up happening uh, was that was appended to the record. Um, the timing of it, I, I, I had put together a package that was pretty voluminous, um, ab about 200 pages of material that I put together. And then about four or five months after I submitted it while I was in my 18 month cycle of wait, uh, is when the Wilkie memo came out. And so I appended that record and added the Wilkie memo and how it was directly related to my particular case. So in the response, the Board of Correction of Naval Records cited the Wilkie memo and cited the, the, um, the, the relationship there, as well as citing the case uh, that you mentioned, the Dovey Rumsfeld case, where um, the, the uh, Department of Defense was enjoined from um, several actions. And then subsequent to that, uh, there were administrative uh, memos that came out that said that uh, service members, particularly the Marines, were not to be disciplined, were not going to be separated, were not going to be removed from deployment rosters. All of these things happened uh, to me just months prior to that. So uh, during that time while I was sitting at home waiting, kind of twirling my thumbs, thinking that there was going to be a letter or phone call, um, nothing happened. Uh, the command just seemed that they were not interested in undoing what they had just done uh, to, to remove a member who had went against the, the grain of, uh, of what, was, what was considered acceptable at the time. Um, so hopefully that answers the question. Um, the challenge that I find as I've spoken to several service members over the years is that very few people can, can sit down and, and write a package and say, even though it's the DD-149 is one page, um, uh, it's hard, it's tough. Uh, my, myself, uh, just sitting down and being able to get past the emotion of, this is what happened to me, now let me write it down, let me put it on a sheet of paper, let me express it in a constructive manner, that's tough for most people. Uh, some people don't even wanna look at it. Uh, I got a phone call one day from a gentleman who his wife was uh, drummed out of the Navy and uh, he, was he had been trying to advocate for her for years and was trying to get her on the phone to talk with me, um, because, but she didn't want to look at it at all because it was such a traumatic experience for her. And this is one of the things that happens. And I'm sure uh, many of the service members that were uh, sidelined in their careers over the COVID vaccine uh, were going through a lot of the same things. Uh, I followed a lot of the news of what was going on. For example, uh, the special warfare operators in the Navy um, and how uh, many of them even lost their, their badges, their trident uh, from being Navy SEALs. Uh, they were removed from the special warfare community just because they didn't uh, want to receive the vaccine, even though the courts have said 
that uh, the Navy may not kick them out of the service. They were still, um, many of them removed from the, the community and not allowed to deploy. So all these sorts of things happen, uh, even with the, uh, the reenlistment code. So they may give them an honorable discharge. And I know of one, this has happened to him. He, uh, he appealed his, um, his uh, uh, anthrax discharge, uh, citing my case. And uh, they gave him an honorable discharge, but what they did at the end was they gave him an unfavorable uh, re-enlistment code. Um, and they, they said that that was uh, an administrative error, but now he's got to go to the end of the line again to go back and get that corrected. And that is just uh, completely unfair. Well, it is. And I want to make another point. The, this comes from my experience as a physician in practice treating injuries and complications from the experimental COVID shots. The special forces military service members work very hard to maintain an elite athlete level of physical fitness, mental fitness, and psychological hardiness and resilience. The COVID shots are the only ones in the history of the world vaccination program that were engineered and, and developed with lipid nanoparticle coatings that push them across the blood-brain barrier, causing brain inflammation. And that is also the mechanism that causes the cardiac inflammation along with the generation of the toxic spike protein. So you have elite special operations warriors who have to be at top performance and push themselves to get there and work hard at it. And these COVID shots were damaging heart, lungs, kidneys, brain, testicles. And when you damage a man's testicles, you are also damaging testosterone, which maintains muscle mass, bone mass, and many of the performance edge that men come to expect. So it really is, it's critical that they refused it and for them to be punished for that when a lot of this information was known and we were presenting it in the fall of 2020 about the potential risk of these shots, it's, it's just staggering to me medically what they've done to damage the health and fitness of our military, but then especially the special forces community. Yeah, and since you talked about the special forces, um, it uh, reminded me of one of the legal cases where Supreme Court Justice Alito actually commented on the shabby treatment that the uh, SEALs were being given. Now, this particularly related to uh, some of the religious exemptions and accommodations. Uh, and as, as we've seen with all the services, there have been just a minuscule number of exemptions, uh, literally uh, an arbitrary and capricious uh, denial of exemptions, even though medical or religious exemptions uh, might be um, legitimate. Uh, they've instead, they've just denied them. But, you know, the good news is we're kind of moving beyond that because uh, with any luck, uh, there won't be a mandate. So hopefully they'll reassess, resurvey their judgments within the Department of Defense and not treat people shabbily as we move into the corrections process. I think that would be very healthy, very uh, positive cultural change that I think the American people and the Congress would be most in favor of. And that way, follow on legislation to uh, force 
corrections of records in a timely manner might never be necessary. And and again, it's 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 different this time just because of the sheer numbers. There's going to be so many people that are talking to their elected representatives, and they are our voice. And and uh, I think the American people are going to agree that hey, the mandate's over. You know, these people haven't been out of the service for very long. We need to bring them back. We're, we're, we're suffering uh, severe readiness and recruitment issues. And it would be a very healthy, uh, mature move for the Department of Defense to proactively, even if not ordered by the Congress, to proactively make this happen in a, in a timely manner. Um, and if it's okay, I'll just kind of pop back to James's case because uh, uh, he worked this for many years and I worked it for several years with him. And at one point he actually came to me and said, Tom, uh, will you do a, um, uh, a letter of recommendation or a, or a memo for record for my case? And I kind of said, James, I, are you sure you want me to do that? I'm not really sure they want to see my name a, a, appear in a case. I don't want it to poison your case. Well, needless to say, it didn't. And that's good because he got a totally positive ruling. Um, but if I were to kind of assess one of the issues that ended up being um, a, a primary factor, you know, the Department of Defense didn't want to say that they'd committed an error, you know, because they they use this language of inference of legality. They essentially say that, well, the anthrax vaccine, uh, yeah, it got declared illegal. But when the commanders were implementing the program, they thought it was legal and there was an inference of legality. And therefore their conclusion is there has been a no injustice. There has been no error case denied. Well, what the Wilkie memo did, and that essentially was um, directed from the secretary of defense and most likely uh, based on direction from the white house, the Wilkie memo said, you have to look at inequities. If you've treated somebody differently at some point over this same matter, you need to seriously consider making it right for the person who was punished. So in my case, uh, my memo for James basically said, hey, I refused the anthrax vaccine also. Uh, we had identified early on as a part of a commander's team that the anthrax vaccine was investigational, that it violated the law, and we also subsequently uh, pointed out to the federal government through a citizen petition that not only was it investigational, but they'd actually never finished the licensing process for the vaccine by the Food and Drug Administration. And that was one of the foundational things that the judge ultimately uh, declared and determined uh, was absolutely correct and was one of the one, one of the main reasons that the program was uh, was ultimately terminated. But had James just come to them and said, hey, I, I think this broke the law and I really think you need to relook at my case, they probably would have uh, given him the same um, uh, door closed on it. Um, but instead, because the inequity language was there, they looked at a case like mine where I was able to serve for a total of 32 years in the military, get promoted all the way to full colonel. And for whatever reason, they never came at me with judicial or non-judicial action. And so there's an inequity there that is absolutely wrong. And so um, I think that hopefully played um, a major part of the successful adjudication of James's, uh, of James's case. And uh, I'm, just, I'm just proud of him for having the, the patience to go through it for so many years. And James and I actually work together on our website. Uh, you can go to either unyielding.org or you can go to hopingforjustice.org. 
uh, hopingforjustice.org. And the four is the number four, just the number itself. So hopingforjustice.org with the number four. And, and on that website, we actually have um, a uh, Memorial Anthrax Vaccine Justice Act that we pre presented to Congress. It never really went anyplace, uh, but hopefully um, our efforts over the years to highlight the injustices and try to get the Congress to uh, direct correction of military records, maybe they'll pick that up and maybe they'll brush it off and maybe they'll actually introduce that as legislation for this one too. And Boy, wouldn't it be a beautiful uh, thing in my idealistic word, world if they actually said, hey, let's go back and look at those anthrax vaccine punishments as well. Uh, this is an order that was actually declared illegal. And uh, therefore, maybe we should go back and make sure we do the right thing for those soldiers from, from literally tw 20 plus years ago. Um, so those are just a couple of the comments I, I wanted to um, mention. And I'm just very hopeful that the Department of Defense will not use the, um, the sneaky language like inference of legality and they won't uh, 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 replay the, the shabby treatment. Instead, they'll get out in front of this and they'll do the right thing. Um, I trust our military leaders um, probably want to do that. I think that there's probably a vast number of military leaders that are breathing a sigh of relief that this program um, is going to be halted because it was because it was really creating an untenable burden for them to have to enforce something that on its face is not only patently illegal because they're using an emergency use authorized product, um, but it's also ca causing a lot of hardship just simply because of the practical reality of the policy doesn't make uh, a lot of sense for a young, healthy population to be given a, um, uh, a vaccine um, uh, or a shot uh, that does gene therapy on them that ultimately doesn't uh, keep them from contracting or spreading a disease. Uh, so anyway, just a few thoughts and, and, and hopefully James can kind of round it out for us. Well, I want to make sure. one comment to what you just said medically, um, Colonel Rimfer. All they needed to do, if they wanted to protect the military, all they needed to do was prophylaxis with hydroxychloroquine, which they've used in our military for 60 years to prevent malaria. That prevented COVID. And Fauci knew that in 2005. And I found that article in five minutes at the end of February 2020. And I was using it to treat all my COVID patients in spite of all of the demonization of a 65-year-old drug that's safer than Tylenol. And I did the data search on that. And I know the safety of hydroxychloroquine, according to FDA data, was safer than the over-the-counter Tylenol. And so the military had options. They chose not to take because the goal from the get-go was pushing people into that box canyon of the experimental shot. So I wanted to get that out there. They had a way, just like they prevented malaria in Vietnam with hydroxychloroquine issued to everybody. They could have done that in the COVID pandemic. James, your comment says we're closing. Yes, last thing, um, I, I'm not sure we actually addressed the other question about uh, remedies. And that is, uh, since people were in different stages in their career, this is not going to be an easy, uh, an easy thing to fix. Um, but uh, in some fashion, there needs to be at least an open door policy of saying, okay, 
Give us your new dream sheet. Where do you want to go next? Uh, what do you want to have happen next? And let them uh, essentially assess back into the military. Of course, those that want to go back. Uh, it shouldn't be required for anybody who, uh, who may not want to go back, who have found their route in the civilian life. Let them go on about their ways. But there are many that do want to go back in uniform. Uh, they should be accepted back with no no consequences, no stoppages on their careers, and they should just be allowed to continue on forward. Um, thank you. I think you're absolutely right. Restore their rank, restore their back pay, and restore them to service if they want it. And quite frankly, after the way they've been treated, I'm not sure that everyone's going to want to come back. But those that do, we certainly should welcome them back and make it very easy for them to do that. And all of you listening, these are America's sons and daughters who stand in the gap for all of us to defend freedom. If our military continues to be decimated and they continue to allow all of these wrongfully terminated service members to be purged from the military, who's going to stand in the gap for all of us when the government takes rogue action against us? I want you to think about that. As we move into this Christmas season, let's think about how grateful we are that we have courageous men and women who volunteer to serve this country and defend freedom for all of us. And take five minutes, pick up the phone, call your member of Congress, the House of Representatives, call your senators, and tell them you want Congress to include recommendations to bring people back if they choose. And I do want to just say that all of this program has represented personal opinions of our service members and me as a physician. None of us are speaking for the Department of Defense or the U.S. government or any branch of the military. In fact, I think that's fairly obvious. So I just wanted to make that disclaimer and thank our service members for their courage in their dedication to holding accountable all of the wrongs that have been done. And all of you, please step up to the plate. Go to hopingf4justice.org, unyielding.org, and truthforhealth.org. Org, and support our military with letters to Congress. All of us need to get behind this effort. Thank you for being with us today. We wish you a very meaningful season, and we hope that Congress does the right thing and helps make our military the elite force that it's always been. God bless you and may God continue to bless the United States of America. Tune in to the Whistleblower Report here on America Out Loud Talk Radio Network every Monday through Friday, 12 noon Eastern and 12 midnight Eastern. We will be back with more dynamic stories that the media refuses to tell you, bringing truth, and hope and solutions against the lies and deceptions that have been assaulting us. Thank you for joining us.